Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 197 of Dogcast Radio, in which we get to grips with canine compulsive disorder. Actual proper canine compulsive disorder may only be a very small amount of of sufferers of canine sufferers who actually have what you would truly term as that others it may be that if we eliminate the root cause then the behavior will disappear plus we have the dogcast radio news and i'll be telling you about buddy's holiday you can find this along with all our episodes and a lot more at dogcastradio.com many of us dream of working with dogs and for my next guest that dream came true in a surprising way Today I'm talking to Laura Varia. Hi, Laura. Hello. Hi. Are you okay? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Julie? Yes, I'm good, thanks. I'm fine. It's a nice sunny day, which is always a good good sign to start with. Now, you, it sounds like you have a fantastic job. So tell me, how did you get started in, in pet sitting? Well, it was quite accidentally. It wasn't something that I ever intended to do or start out doing. I moved from Chicago to Los Angeles in 2002 as a makeup artist. Hmm. I was a makeup artist in Chicago and I worked at sort of an upscale shop. They call it Barney's of New York. And uh, I was able to get transferred from the LA retail office to Los Angeles. I was working on Wilshire Boulevard and I was, you know, trying to break into film and television but struggling struggling a lot and so one day I was at the counter and this young woman came in with her dog and you know her dog got in a big big uh, trouble at the store and I went to help her and we sort of became friends and she said you know are you a makeup artist I wound up telling her I was hmm. and she told me she was working on a, a small independent film and could I come to the lot and do her makeup? And when I went there, her little dog, Abby, was there. And I uh, was going to go on the set with her. And she said, oh, you can't come on the set with me because you don't have your studio card. But, you know, could you walk Abby for me? I'll pay you a little extra. And I thought, oh, dear. Okay, well, I'll walk your dog. No problem. While I was walking her dog on the lot. And out of another trailer came Paula Poundstone, who's somewhat of a famous comedian out yes. here. Yeah. yeah, you might have heard of her, right? She came right up to me and she said, hey. What a cute dog. And I said, oh, you know, I better not talk to her. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> and um, I was really trying to, to just get out of her path. And she said, are, are you a professional dog walker? And I said, oh, my God, this is my chance. So I said, yes, I am. I am a professional dog walker. She said, well, great. I'm looking for one of those. you got to come to my house and walk my dog, Cal. And that's how it started. It was completely accidental. I never saw it coming, but I'm so grateful that it went down like that because I just really never got another call for being a makeup artist so it worked out really good for me <laughs> <laughs> oh excellent oh that's brilliant do you know i remember at, at one point my my daughter jenny and um, obviously she's into animals but she was also in her teens into stage makeup and sort of making she she would go around with a pencil sticking out of her head apparently and it was sort of all um She'd done all the effects and makeup. But at one point, because she wanted to combine the two, and she was saying, I could do special effects makeup for animals. And I was going, oh. yeah, I was going, it's, a, it's a bit too much of a niche, but yes, nice idea. <laughs> Yeah, right. I know. Well, I actually thought of that myself. You know, you look at some of these dogs, I thought, you would look great with eyelash extensions. <laughs> <laughs> A bit of eyeliner on yeah. you. <laughs> you can adopt it, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> 
I like it. So, but it's not just dogs, is it? Tell me the whole variety of the animals you've looked after. So after that, it was mostly dogs, but then, you know, it, it kind of just, you know, you cast a bigger net. So any domesticated animal that someone would have, dogs, cats, fish, you know, turtles, snakes, rodents, skinny pigs, uh, a llama, a, a pot betty, a pig, yeah. um, goats, chickens, horses, uh, you know, a, a lot of just sort of pets that people would have but it's not so rural here like it sounds like it might be there so not too many of the farm sort of animals never cows really but we had a lot of um a lot of horses and chickens and you know the things that you might sort of imagine but but mostly dogs and cats and and you know really kind of I would say um, hybrid sort of dogs and cats. So, you know, designer breeds and these toy breeds and these party breeds and these teacup breeds. And they were very popular for a while. You know, the tiny, tiny little dogs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can I can testify to their attraction, actually, because my daughter, I, I've always liked bigger dogs, but she likes very small dogs. She had a Bichon Frise and now she's got a German Spitz Klein, which is like a tiny little Pomeranian type oh, dog. They're um, so cute. Yes. Oh, yeah. boy, are they cute. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. A Pomeranian is one of my favorite dogs. I love oh, moms. Yeah. But you see, to us, they're, they're this cute little fluffy dog. But my goodness, they're not a cute little fluffy dog on the inside. They're a wolf on the inside, aren't they? It's so true. It seems like the smaller the dog the bigger the personality yes. it's like they kind of want to prove like i may be small but you better watch it's always a little dog that wants to start the fight you know yes. it's always a crappy one they always want to get in and pick a fight with the biggest dog yes yeah and not just start the fight finish the fight <laughs> it's, it's, they have no idea that they're just going to be a snack like they're not even going to be the the, the main uh, the main yes. dinner they're just the freaking snack you have no clue what you've gotten yourself into right it's amazing <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I like that. It's all attitude in the dog world. I like that. And it's all attitude. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So say that because obviously you, you've worked as you as you say you've worked with some very elite dogs and sort of uh, famous people and and sort of very well off people. So does that um, attitude extend to them? Are are the dogs snobby as well, or do they sort of warm up to you? What do you think? You know, I think in in my whole career here, fifteen years or so, I've had one or two snobby dogs where I thought, <laughs> "You are just so snobby," you know, <laughs> like turn up your nose at treats. You know, I, my dog would eat anything. Yes. I mean, I mean, I've never seen him turn up his nose at anything, anything, even things he shouldn't eat. He's eat. But there are a couple dogs. You know, it goes right to their head. They're just used to being spoiled. They don't even walk. They just stand there waiting for you to pick them up. They know I'm going in that designer carrier. Don't even think of it. I'm not walking in the rain. Oh, 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 gosh, with the rain, too. Oh, no, I can't go outside. My paw might get wet. Uh-uh. <laughs> a couple times, yeah, I think that they do. They kind of got the, the memo. You know, hey, you're rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know, saying that, as you say that, I'm thinking that Jenny's little Bichon star um, mm. I mean, we gave her the name, didn't we? Star. Um, Just right to their head. <laughs> <laughs> but she would, she she didn't like the rain. Um, when she went, she did go in the snow, but she would build up snowballs on her fur and, and she sort of just got weighed down with snow. But she wasn't, she was funny, dog, because she would enjoy a walk once we got her out. But as she got to the front door, she'd just look at you like, you know what? I went last week. I'm good. I don't need to go. <laughs> so I think she she would have done well in that world. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, right. I know. I often say to people, say, gosh, you know, when you come back next lifetime, what do you want to be? I said, I would like to be a very wealthy person's dog in Los Angeles. You know, just put me on that jet, put me on that yacht. You know, I'm fine. South of France, no problem. Here I come. Look at me, all the nice clothes and the jewels. I'm there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, I think that'd be a really, really good life. I think that's great. Yeah. So, are the other sort of the pets and the dogs that you've looked after have they been quite indulged and also what's the sort of the, the craziest instruction that a, a celebrity client has given you well you know i think they are somewhat all indulged i mean any dog that has a home that i was you know privy or looking after we had a good home i mean people were paying the money and taking the time to organize a pet sitter or dog walker to come make sure their dog got exercise make sure their dog wasn't lonely you know a lot of people are very sort of frightful that their pets are suffering during the day when they're working and that was uh, a theme that i heard a lot where people like oh i'm worried about my dog you know i don't know what he's doing all day he's getting fat he's lonely he's destructive so so I think that the people, you know, who just had the regular pet sitters coming were, were absolutely looking out for their dogs. And at sometimes they were really stretching their means. But as far as craziest things, you know, people do go over the top. They want you to make sure that you are feeding their pets exactly the same way that they're going to feed them. So perfect temperature, perfect amount, not overfeeding, not underfeeding. You know, I've had this man who wanted me to put his dog's bowl in the oven so the dog would think that it's coming fresh out of the oven uh -huh. and he thought the dog knew that was happening. And then I had another lady, I know, and he really believed that the dog knew if it was coming out of the oven that it was going to be homemade and good for him. So, yeah, and then I had another lady who wanted me to sing her songs to her pets as they ate their dinner because she thought that that would help their digestion. Oh, so, <laughs> you know, so many things. And then I've had people who've gone away, you know, they've gone halfway around the world on trips and they've called me and they want to do FaceTime with their pets. You know, they want to see them. They want me to put their little faces up to the screen and they want to make sure that they're doing okay and they talk to them. And, you know, the dog will stare at the screen and look at them and seem to recognize that, hey, that's somebody I know, my mom, my dad, and that screen. Um, so uh, anything that you can imagine, you know, the parties, the marriages, the, the, the spa dates, you know, anything you could do for yourself, it's been able to, you know, spill onto the pet world. Yeah, yeah. But you see, those things that you describe, I mean, yes, they're, they're a little bit um, eccentric, should we say, or, you know, but they're things that it's showing how much the owner is, cares for the dog. And also, there's, I think as human beings, sometimes we're misguided as to what the dog or the pet wants and we sort of project onto them things that so you know for example that what you said about you know take the dish out of the oven so the dog thinks that it's come from the oven yes that may be overthinking but it's not doing any harm to the dog you know and the, the hold the dog up to the screen the dog may or may not know that it's you you know they can hear you I'm not sure how much they see but again it's not actually doing any harm to the dog but so that I, I like that kind of indulgence and pampering the things that sort of get to me are sort of when when people um you know they paint the nails or they perhaps some dogs you know some dogs like a coat if it's cold or whatever but the dressing up that you think mm, I'm not sure that dog's happy with it so you know as to me as long as it's not actually doing the dog any harm the dog's happy with it you know what harm is is a bit of indulgent like indulgence like that 
Right. I agree. As long as you're not doing harm. But, you know, it, it's sort of a great area because I have a client, um, a young woman, quite successful. She had a dog and the dog became her like uh, replacement for having a child. And she put the dog in a stroller and she put the dog in a car seat and she traveled with her dog. And, you know, her dog was getting very depressed and she would dress up the dog and she would have play dates with the dog. And the dog was just, you know, just a mess, just lethargic and losing its hair. And she was and the vet and vet and vet and finally the vet said you know what you put too much pressure on this dog I mean oh. you want it to be a child it's not a child they wanted putting the dog on antidepressants and it really helped the dog a lot but the woman more than anything kind of had to wrap her mind around the fact that you know this is not a baby it's not a child yes. it's not going to graduate from school it's not going to page you a picture um, <laughs> and so you're putting all this pressure on this poor puppy and this dog and the dog knew it the dog sensed it that this woman wanted more from it it was it was really quite you know it was quite eye opener that you know the dog sensed that this woman wanted it to do more and perform something that it just couldn't do and I think in that case it was a little hurtful to the dog because she just didn't allow it to just to be a dog yeah yeah I, I often think of you know we we expect our dogs to understand that we live in this house and and there's a dog in the garden next door but you don't need to bark at them you know that's that's their territory and this is yours just understand that you know and, and come and live in a town and then and we'll go to a park in the town or whatever and mix with a lot of strange people and a lot of strange dogs and take you all in your stride and I don't want you to be upset and I don't want you to bark and I and we expect them to, to understand our world and we don't really try to understand theirs fully do we I, you know, I think some people try more than others, you mm. know, and, and it also depends on the dog. I think a lot of dogs are happy-go-lucky and they're social and they can go into a dog park and think, oh, look at all these friends and I like this one, I like this one, oh, I don't like that one. Um, so I think they can kind of make their own way if we let them, but I do think there's a bit that they don't quite understand, like, you know, why do I have to stay on this side of the wall and what's on the other side of the wall yes. and why is that dog on that side of the wall and he's not going to come over on this side? of the law so uh, to your point yes absolutely i don't think we fully discovered exactly what's going on in their heads <laughs> yes <laughs> oh dear so obviously you've you've enjoyed being a pet sitter if somebody wanted to get into um pet sitting what would your advice be to them Oh, gosh, just go for it. You know, I think the great thing about the pet sitting industry is that it's growing and there's always a way that you can carve out as much market share as big or little as you want. I mean, it can be just a tiny part time job for somebody who just might have a little bit of extra time and want some additional income. Or it could be, you know, a huge business if you want to get into hiring people and, you know, just offering a menu of different, you know, needs. People have so many different needs, but I would just say start where you're at. So if you have your own pet, maybe take your pet to the local vet, introduce yourself and let them meet your pet so that they know you have a pet and you're a true pet lover. And just, you know, print out a little card, advertise yourself, just get one client because once you get that one client and you're doing a good job for them, I guarantee they are going to tell somebody. And once they tell somebody, then they'll tell somebody. And before you know it, you'll have the, you're like, your, your own little your client list. And you know, you'll, you can make it as big as little as you want. So be professional, be passionate, and you can make it in this industry. I mean, listen, it's, it's, um, it's just a lot about the passion and the professionalism. There's really no hard skills that you need just need to love people's pets and follow their instructions 
Yes. Yeah. To what they want you to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you so, have to. You can't. You can't just sort of like think. Well, they told me. You know, always put the lead on. But oh, I don't have to do that. You know, you have to listen to the instructions. That's the number one thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I suppose with any job. <laughs> yeah. Follow instructions. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you you started sort of over fifteen years ago, didn't you? So how have you seen changes in the industry in that time? Oh, yes. Well, yes, so many changes. So when I first started doing it, you know, nobody was doing it professionally. People were just hiring the teenager next door, or maybe they would do a trade like, oh, you'll walk my dog, I'll walk your dog. It wasn't as sort of um, regulated. It wasn't as, as massive as it is now. I mean, now they have, I don't know if they have this in the UK, but we have um, on-demand pet sitting and dog walking apps. And there's there's two of them and they've gotten a lot of venture capital, you know, hundreds of million dollars. I'm not even kidding you. And they've really gotten just so many people to work for them. So it's on demand now. And that's a big change. It was never on demand before, you know, just like we didn't have Uber and Lyft before. So I didn't see that coming. Um, and then so many more franchises. So there's a lot more franchises. There's less independent people and more franchises. And there's less people that now do private boarding in their home and there's more facilities. So like I do personal private boarding in my home, which people like, and I'm always booked with dogs coming here, but those people who used to do it in their home have gone out and gotten buildings and facilities. And now it's, it's changed a little bit like that. So it has evolved. I mean, it's gone from this tiny little bit of market to now it's this this huge, big industry. Yes. Yeah. It definitely has, hasn't it? And, you know, we indulge our dogs. And, you know, there's sensible indulgence and there's, to me, what I would say, oh, that's that's too much. We've talked about that. But, you know, we do indulge our pets more. And, um, yeah, it's sort of, it used to be, if you're going on holiday or you need your dog looked after, kennels. Whereas now we're looking at, and, and kennels work for some dogs. I'm not denigrating kennels in any way. But for some dogs, it's going to be easier on them if they're in a home environment, you know, and as you say, not in a big um, establishment, in a home environment, genuinely a private home. Um, and build, and sort of the chance for the dog to build a relationship with the person looking after them, that's important as well, isn't it? Oh, it's so important. I mean, I'm coming up against it now because I'm going to go on holiday and my daughter, who usually watches my dog, she's on a holiday the same time. I said, oh, gosh, who's going to watch my dog? I mean, the pet sitter needs a pet sitter. And he's older. And, you know, I don't love the idea of him going to the kennel because, you know, they treat him very well. It's all good and fine. But, you know, it's a little it's a little scary for him because he's small. He's he's my husband calls him a teeny weeny chihuahua. So he's a doxy and chihuahua mix. And he's only about 20 pounds, but he's an older gentleman now. And, you know. He doesn't love the other dogs. He loves the people. And it's just like that classroom teacher sort of ratio. There's not enough people to just kind of snuggle him and give him that attention. So I would love to have somebody come here. But then, you know, it's that whole thing. It's like, oh, my gosh, I want to have someone stay at the house. I'd rather just, you know, turn the key and walk away. Um, So it's it's difficult. You know, people get into this, you know, into this situation where they're trying to find a pet sitter for, for months and months. And there's all these kennels in the area. One of them has a pool. Um, one of them has cameras, you know, one of them has gourmet 
feedings and they have, you know, enrichment programs for the puppies. But my God, it's $150 a night. That's yes. as much as my hotel. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean yeah. who's on vacation, me or the dog? So, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, there's got to be some fine line. And the only way we know what it is, is what's good for you and what's good for your dog. What are you both comfortable with? Yes, absolutely. It's about finding out what works for you, isn't it? Yeah. And it really is about that. And for me, it would be perfect if I could just find somebody who, you know, would come and stay with my dog and then I would stay with their dog. So a trade, I tell people all the time, they ask me, well, Laura, what can we do if we can't afford someone to come into our home and we want to get a dog? I said, find someone who would work a trade with you. You know, there's always somebody where there's a will, there's a way, just look for it. And you will find somebody, a kid who needs a little extra money or somebody who just wants to spend time with their pet. So, you know, you just have to search for that perfect solution. And it is out there. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Now, you've, you've written about your experiences, haven't you? Tell us about The Pet Sitter's Tale. Well, I love talking about the book because it was really a labor of love. I just wanted to write down and sort of get out some of the craziest experiences I had sort of coming out to L.A. with the expectation to be, you know, a, a world famous makeup artist. I don't know, but, but you know, certainly a makeup artist. And then just kind of pivoting and becoming a, a dog walker and a pet sitter completely unexpectedly was not even in the back of my mind. But as I gave it a lot of thought, and there were lots of times where I could give it a lot of thought, I went back to my childhood, and I realized, you know what, I really, really did love dogs. When we got my first dog, Ginger, she was a black Labrador. And I just remember her being my best friend and how much I loved her. And I would whisper secrets in her ears. And so it just felt right. So I I wanted to write the stories about these, you know, furry children and how much people love them and sort of as a mirror to people that love pets to show kind of like, this is normal. It's all okay. You love your dog. You sleep with your dog. You snuggle your dog. You tell your dog how much you love it. It's okay. Everybody does that, you know? Yes. Yeah, I think that's the thing, because sometimes you hide, don't you? You hide the things you do with your dog. I tell you one thing that I used to sort of not tell people is when um, this was quite a long time ago, because Star was still with us. And I would, they, if the dog looked at the back door, I'd sort of open the door and I'd say, well, do you want to go out? And I would give them the choice. And I'd, I wouldn't tell people, you know, I wouldn't sort of make that public and say, yes, yes, I give my dogs the choice. I say, do you want to go out or not? Because it, it felt silly. It felt like other people, particularly people that didn't have dogs, would think, you mad woman, you know, do you tell them to go out or tell them to stay in. And, and now, more recently, you know, trainers that I've talked to have said, and it, it seems to become a growing movement of giving dogs choice and that dogs can exercise choice. But for so many years, I wouldn't have said to people, yes, yes, I give my dogs a choice. You know, it's, it just felt too silly. But we do, you know, in our private lives with our dogs, we have these wonderful relationships with them that we, we sort of, bits of it, you think, yeah, I'm not going to tell other people. I mean, for some, tra- some trainers I talk to and some, um, some people who've performed with their dogs and they, they don't sort of always want people to know that the dog actually sleeps in the bed with them or whatever it is because they don't want people to think they're soft and these but it's it's the wonderful the magic of bringing a dog into your life and loving that dog isn't it oh it's so enriching I mean I I have found it very enriching and it's it's empowering because it really helps so much with like emotion and adjustment and socialization and you know you see all the wonderful works that pets do for people that have you know post-traumatic stress disorder or have been to traumatic experiences or they have 
you know, different illnesses or disabilities or sicknesses or whatever, or just going through day-to-day life. It can be so challenging sometimes. I think, you know, just to have that best furry friend by you, non-judgmental and unconditional love, I really think it's something everyone should get to experience because it's such a wonderful thing. It really, it really makes life worth living when you have your pet just love you like that. And the routine of it, you know, my dog is older now. I've had him for over 10 years. He's into a routine. You know, he knows when it's nap time. He knows when it's dinner time. I I open the door for him and I can count on him. Help yourself to the great outdoors. I'm going to have a shower. When you're ready, come back in. You know, it's like he gets it. He doesn't need any training. He's, he's like, we've had the mind meld you know (laughs) he's all he's all trained up (laughs) it is wonderful having a puppy is is great fun and they're very cute but there's a lot of pee and poo and biting and you know and and things that you think oh this isn't you know we we, we've just um mischief is now my daughter's dog uh is uh 11 months so we've just gone through this quite recently whereas my dog my labrador is 15 and a half so and he's mm. just I mean he's having one or two issues now but he's you know when oh. you get them to about I don't know two three four five even that's when you really get the dog that you wanted that you've put those hours of training and and building the partnership that's when you get the dog isn't it and then he's been just wonderful I do think you know uh, the mature dog is great that's- Oh, yes, I do, too. That's the sweet spot, isn't it? Yes. Like, you know, the bad behavior, the zoomies, the destruction in the house, the little accidents, you know, yes. making the quotation marks, <laughs> accidents, you know, that's done. You know, they're yes. not ripping up your couch or, or shredding your shoes when they're five. You know, they've gotten it all out of their system, hopefully not. And that's when you're right. That partnership is really, really flourishing. And, you know, you just kind of get it. You can you can rely on them. They know you pop up to the shop. You'll be back. You know, it's it's good it's it's a good relationship then oh and i just i love your little pictures of mischief i saw on twitter so cute <laughs> smelling the skirt yes. where have you been <laughs> yes she's she's a little monkey because i'd gone out and i'd, I'd been, it was two labradors i'd met and they had they had sort of sat all over my skirt and i came back in and buddy's just like oh yeah fine okay you've talked to other dogs fine i'm used to it now <laughs> and she I was trying to work and she pinned my skirt on my leg and she she sniffed like very intently. She didn't want to be fussed. She just wanted to read the scents on my skirt. It was so You funny. know, I often think of that. It's like, do they give a sense of like, oh, I would have really liked that dog or that was a big, handsome dog or, you know, like, yes. what was that dog? Like, where is that dog? Like, well, how exactly close did you get to that dog? Why yes. was that dog on your skirt? You know, I wonder, do what they think, like, what happened? Like, Papa Mai wasn't there. Yes. You know, like, what does go through? their mind like oh, I know that they yeah. absolutely realize that you did come across another dog but but in what capacity they probably have just no idea I wonder if it just you know it just eats at them <laughs> yes yeah I would love to know what's what's going on in in her little mind when she's sniffing because she looks quite serious you know mm-hmm. she, didn't, she didn't growl or anything but she's very serious and so, so yes I'd love to know what she was thinking um, yeah so would I yeah, yeah. So you run um, in Los Angeles, don't you? You run um, at your own company, Your Dog's Best Friend. Tell me what, yes, what services yes. you offer. So we do everything. But the core of the business is private one-on-one dog walking. So we don't really do these group off-leash hikes. We don't do the dog park visits. You know, everyone seems to have their own model. But the way I started with Paula's dog and how everybody wanted it was just come to my house, walk my dog in my neighborhood, and, you know, don't bring any other dogs because 
because my dog doesn't like them or I don't want to worry about that dog's behavior. So we do private one-on-one dog walking and we do overnight stays in other people's homes. We do boarding in our home and then we do pet sitting and we do, you know, trips to the vet, trips to the groomer, trips to the airport, you know, anything ancillary that we can do to help the clients. And I have two locations and a lot of great people who help out and do the dog walking. So, and uh, also basic obedience training. So I work with some trainers who do basic obedience training and, um, anything that you can think of that helps people with their pets, we kind of do it. So yeah. it's been, it's been pretty awesome. Yeah, that sounds lovely. That's lovely. It, that's what it's about, isn't it? Helping people get the most out of life with their dog, with their pet. I think that's what it's about. Absolutely. It's about the helping people. That is the underlying motivation for this. I mean, you don't do it to become wealthy. That's certainly for sure. It's not a job you can get rich doing. But, you know, it feels really good to know that somebody is resting easy, that you're taking care of their pet. You know, I hear so many situations where someone said, gosh, you know, I hired this other pet sitter and she had a party at my house and mm-hmm. she had these people over and she wasn't taking care of my pet and my cat got away. And, you know, you hear these, these situations yes. and the people are traumatized, not because of damage in the house, but because you know, it took me three days to get my cat back. And I was so worried about my cat. You know, you hear these situations. Mm. And I I think it's just so nice to know that, you know, you're doing your best, you're providing a valuable service, and you're helping improve the quality of life, not just for the pets, but for the people as well. And that's a good feeling. And you can't put a price tag on that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been lovely talking to you today. Is there anything that you haven't had the chance to say yet that you'd like to say? Oh, please buy the book. (laughs) (laughs) Cut to the chase, Laura. Cut to the chase. (laughs) Well, there's some great stories in it. And you know what? Every single chapter begins with an adorable photo of a pet that I actually take care of. And there's a cute Pomeranian in there, too, named Ernie. And um, I think people, if you're a pet lover and you listen to this podcast, I mean, I think you're going to like the book. It's, it's, It's a cute, fun read. And, um... Thank you so much for having me on, Julie. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. (laughs) Thank you, Laura. (laughs) I like Laura. Cut to the chase and stay on message. I think sometimes it's the things you fall into that you were really meant to do. And it certainly turned out that way for Laura. You can find out more about her at the Your Dog's Best Friend website, which we have a link to on the Dogcast Radio site. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Unlike humans, but like many running animals, dogs don't have a collarbone, which is also known as a clavicle. And now it's time for the Dogcast Radio News. Read by Julie and Jenny. This probably doesn't come as a surprise to anybody listening to a podcast all about dogs, but according to the 2018 Pets and People survey by Just Right by Purina, our dogs are not only our best friends, they're also our counsellors, confidants, bunkmates, stress relievers, and definitely part of the family. In fact, 95% of owners consider their dog to be part of the family. Oh, that's brilliant, because it means most dogs are getting a great quality of life and won't end up in rescue. 44% of dog owners confide in their dog. Well, I suppose you can be sure of your dog's discretion. 62% of owners said their dog helped them relax after a hard day's work. 
after working like a dog, relax like one. And talking of relaxing, many owners reveal that they choose to share their bed with their dog, with 31% of respondents aged between 18 and 34 saying their dog is the little spoon while sleeping. And 19% of those taking part said their dog is a big spoon while sleeping. I guess that depends on the size of dog involved. And the size of the person, too. That survey also revealed that half of all women surveyed said they preferred time with their dog over time with their partner and or other family members. And we move on now to a story about a dog who probably wishes he'd stayed home with his owner. Clyde, a Jack Russell, got stuck between the engine and the wheel of a car and amazingly travelled trapped like that from Bangor to Belfast in Northern Ireland. Clyde's owner, Chris Mullen, runs the Cairn Bay Guest Hotel and when a German family who had stayed there for a night left, they had no idea they had a canine stowaway in their car. When they parked at Belfast Castle, they heard a strange whining sound, and that was when they discovered poor Clyde. He was biting frantically in an effort to free himself, and although passers-by stopped to help, and the car was raised up on two jacks, it wasn't until some panelling and the engine protector were pulled back that Clyde was finally liberated. The family phoned the number on Clyde's collar, and thankfully Clyde is back home and receiving treatment for burns to his leg, but otherwise it's fine. We stay with vehicles now, but the two-wheeled variety, as we go to a story in Columbus, Georgia. Jarrett Little and a group of other cyclists were taking a break in a forest when a dog limped out of the woods, very thin and with a broken leg. Unable to get a car to the dog, or to otherwise transport the dog out of the woods, Jarrett put the dog onto his back, where he stayed for the seven-mile ride back to town. When they stopped at the local bike shop to get the dog some food and water, Fortune had a surprise in store, because Andrea Shaw was there, and she not only fell in love with the dog, but adopted him on the spot, paid his medical bills, and arranged for a local organisation to transport her dog to her horse farm in Maine. Now christened Columbo, he's settling into his new life, and you can keep up with him at his Facebook page, The Adventures of Columbo. While we love a happy ending here at Dogcast Radio, sometimes we feature a story which doesn't end happily, in the hope it will help other dogs. We all love taking our dogs to the beach and letting them frolic in the waves, especially when it's hot, as it's a great way to cool off. And usually we all go home tired and cheerful, having made happy memories. But sadly, when Chris Taylor took his black Labrador, OG, to Honeymoon Island State Park Dog Beach in Florida, that's not how it worked out. Chris and Oji had a great afternoon playing in the sea, but towards the end of the day, he seemed very tired and wobbly. Oji had a little diarrhoea, and by the next morning, seemed a little better. But sadly, after another day, Oji was going downhill fast. The vet diagnosed severe dehydration, but most worryingly, his brain was swelling due to high levels of sodium, causing him to have convulsions. Within a day, it was clear that the brain damage Oji had suffered due to salt poisoning was severe. Chris had to make the heartbreaking decision to let O.G. go. But bravely, he wants to publicise the tragedy, in the hope that other dogs won't suffer the same fate. Chris was making sure O.G. had fresh water to drink, and that they took breaks. It just wasn't enough. Best advice is that if your dog drinks salt water, take him out of the water, and if they swallow water accidentally while swimming with a toy in their mouth, choose to play in fresh water instead of the sea. Yoshi, a five-year-old guide dog from the UK, has won Chester Gates' veterinary specialist's highly acclaimed Pet of the Month title in recognition of his incredible bravery in recovering from life-saving surgery. Yoshi's owner, Colin Jones, had become increasingly concerned about Yoshi when he went very quiet and kept stopping on their walks. 
Yoshi also went off his food a little and took a long time to eat it, which wasn't in character for him. When Colin took Yoshi to the vet, they referred him to Chester Gates' veterinary specialists. At the hospital, a CT scan revealed that Yoshi had a life-threatening condition, a twisted lung lobe that required emergency chest surgery, as he had 2.5 litres of fluid in his chest. Soft tissue specialist surgeon Daniela McCready carried out the surgery and explained, Lung lobe torsion, where a lung lobe twists on itself, is normally associated with pugs and large deep-chested dogs, so to diagnose this condition in a Labrador is highly unusual. Yoshi is Colin's third guide dog, and while Yoshi was away, he experienced considerable isolation and did not feel confident enough to go out on his regular trips. Thankfully, Yoshi made a great recovery, and within 24 hours of his life-saving surgery, he was demanding treats, and after two weeks' recuperation, brave Yoshi was back at work. Chester Gates awarded their Pet of the Month title to Yoshi in recognition of his bravery and in keeping a happy, positive disposition in the face of adversity. He sounds lovely, and we have a very happy story to finish with. A dog raised to be food rather than a pet is now a high-profile pooch and heading a campaign to change attitudes to dogs in South Korea. Tori, a black mongrel, had the good luck to be adopted by President Moon Jae-in last year and was part of Mr Moon fulfilling his promise to raise awareness of dogs in rescues. Now, the charity Coexistence of Animal Rights on Earth, CARE, is campaigning to get dogs off the menu. Soft toys of Tory, bearing the message, I'm not food, are helping the cause. It is mainly among older people that eating dogs persists, and though it is decreasing, Koreans traditionally believe that dog soup helped them beat the summer heat. I really hope cute Tory helps stamp out this tradition. And that's it for this time from the Dogcast Radio News. See you next time. A harness is better than a collar and lead for toy breeds who can suffer from collapsed tracheas. Tony Shelbourne has been kind enough to talk to me before about Tellington Touch and her experiences with wolves and lots of things dog owners need help with. But today she's here to talk about canine compulsive disorder. Hi Tony. Hi yeah, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Excited about talking to you. Well, I'm excited about talking to you because this is a, this is a great new subject you're covering. But before we get to the subject we're going to cover today, um, uh, you have got a range of help books, haven't you? Help help for different subjects. So tell me about them. Yeah. So myself and my co-author Karen Bush, we decided that often people needed information about one subject, but they might have to buy a whole big book on dog training to get information about that one thing they wanted. And they kind of didn't need the rest. Mm. So we thought, let's come up with a series of mini books that give you every single thing you need to know about one particular issue with your dog. And and it, the great thing about it is because we publish them ourselves, it means we can update them really quickly as well. So new information comes out, we can add it in so we can revise them really, really easily. It just takes us a day to take them down, you know, add in the information and reload them. So with our heads together and with all of the contacts that we have, we just pull everything that we know, which is up to date about that particular subject, and we stick it all in a, in a little mini book. Brilliant. So it's called Help My Dog, and then it's like the subject of that. So Help My Dog Scared of Fireworks, Help My Dog Doesn't Travel Well in the Car, Help My Dog's Destroying the Garden, and then our latest one, which is Help My Dog Has Canine Compulsive Disorder. 
Yes, yeah. Which I I've been reading this and it's a fascinating book. So, first of all, tell me what is canine compulsive disorder? So we're very familiar with OCD in people. Mm. So as in people who get very anxious about things and have to do repetitive, um, you know, repeating doing things and making sure they do it in the right order and becoming very distressed about stuff. So we can't say that dogs have obsessive compulsive disorder because, you know, we haven't can't really prove the fact that they can obsess. Some people would say they wouldn't. I believe that dogs are, you know, brain structure is very similar to ours and they probably do. However, that's why we call it canine compulsive disorder. So it's a behavior that is um, taken out of context. So, for example, and quite often it's related to maybe a job that the dog has been bred to do. So, for example, collies who maybe aren't herding, you might see them tail chasing or you might see them shadow chasing a lot. So sometimes it's linked to a job that they may have been doing if they were a working breed, but they do them out of context. So they do them repetitively. They can do it for hours on end. They can injure themselves, you know, and and there's loads of reasons why it happens. Um, So although the book is about canine compulsive disorders, actually what it's saying is there's lots of things that look like it. So what we really have to do and in what the book, takes the the owners through is okay so let's look at every single aspect and see whether it's this so is it a health issue is it a stress issue you know what is it that is causing this problem because actual proper canine compulsive disorder may only be a very small amount of of sufferers of canine sufferers who actually have what you would truly term as that others it may be that if we eliminate the root cause then the behavior will disappear yeah yeah and Again, if we become aware of it, if somebody's listening to this and, and thinking, oh, gosh, yeah, I think my dog has, you know, these behaviours that are, you know, repeated. And and you because sometimes you see behaviours and you just think, ah, oh, either that was sweet or wasn't that funny. Why do we need to be aware of it, Tony? Why do we need to address it? Well, that's a really good question, because actually a lot of things will come under this category that people might not realize is a compulsive disorder. So I've had people contact me having read the book saying, oh, now I know that my dog has this. I didn't think that they had it. I think they just did this behavior. So, you know, things like tail chasing and uh, shadow chasing or sucking themselves or licking surfaces, drinking loads, eating inappropriate objects and hallucinating you, you you know there are tons of them mm-hmm. um and and they're distressing because they are repetitive and because the dogs just get really stressed about it it's like fly snapping they're snapping at a fly that's not there but they can do this for hours on end so it's not only distressing for the owner to watch that because one it's an annoying habit the dog has but two you know the dogs aren't aren't happy they're not settled you know this it's it's just you know emotionally really draining for everyone who has to live with it yeah. so it's very rarely is it termed as a as a cute thing it's often termed as a you know owners then get annoyed with the dog um and therefore the dog gets worse because the dog's now stressed because the owners are annoyed with them so for example with shadow chasing sometimes it's caused by us inadvertently playing with them with a reflection of a watch or something but then it turns into this habit which you then instead of praising the dog and and laughing at them you're then telling them off for so it's like this big cycle that kind of just keeps going around and around and around and some dogs seriously have to be put down because of it 
Oh, yeah, it's that, yeah, it can be that bad. Oh. And that's, that was really sad because when I read that bit, that, you know, sometimes the cause is inadvertently that humans have encouraged it, set it up. That, that's really heartbreaking as well, isn't it? Yes, and we don't even, you know, and you can't blame people for doing, they just don't understand what that's going to set up. Because, of course, you could do that with 100 dogs and, and 69 of them might be fine with you doing that and playing it, not develop into a canine compulsive disorder. But the rest of them, you know, for those people, they, they you know, you see often on Facebook people going, oh, don't do this as dog, we did this, and now we've got this lifetime of problem with our dog and stuff. So, yeah, it can be really, really distressing for all concerned. Mm-hmm. And sometimes quite hard if you don't have the right help hard to get the dogs to stop yes yeah so so what causes so so we've said sometimes you know it's very sadly human influence what other causes could there be so there's a the first thing we need to do is get a thorough vet check because there's loads of health issues that manifest itself in these um, stereotypic behaviours, these these canine compulsive disorders. So it, things like um, seizures, for example. So people think seizures about dogs like falling over and having being unconscious. Um, but actually, if there's particular ones that will only affect certain parts of the brain, and quite often what happens is it comes out as a particular action the body or a part of the body does so they're called um, psychomotor seizures or you'll get focal seizures localized seizures as well but it could be anything from thyroid problems so early onset of thyroid problems some dogs will tail chase or excessive groom and and look hyperactive Mm. Um, it could very well be a food intolerance or a gut imbalance so there's been studies done by the montreal uh, veterinary teaching hospital and they concluded that 74 percent of dogs who had this licking behavior so licking of surfaces and they actually call it excessive licking of surfaces syndrome um this massive majority of the dogs actually had a a a gastro inter you know in time in gastro, I can't say the word now, (laughs) intestinal problem. Mm. So once they sorted out the intestinal problem, uh, the behaviour disappeared. So tons and tons and tons and tons. I mean, you know, if a dog's drinking too much, does it have something like Cushing's or, you know, kidney disease or diabetes? Pain can even be an issue. If they can't, if they're older dog and they can't get to the bit that's sore to lick, they'll lick anything. Yeah. You know, we've known people, you know, dogs to lick, you know, curtains, walls, anything to kind of just help them to feel better because they can't obviously get get to that pain or sort that pain out. Because actually pain is really, really, really highly undiagnosed in dogs. A lot of dogs, just like us, have pain, but nothing's done about it because they don't show it in typical ways that we do. And they can't necessarily tell us either. Yeah. So, you know, all these things need to be you know, um, sorted out head injuries, you know, if a dog's lost its sight or its sense of smell or hearing, these can all cause issues. So it really is a case of do a thorough check on all health issues and deal with those and then see what you're left with because it may be that it will disappear completely at that point. So if there's not any health issues, what you then have to do is look at every other aspect of the dog's life. So is it the human factor? You know, is there something that we're doing? So what you can do is actually ask family members if the dog does this particular action when you're not there or film the dog. Does the dog do it when you're not in its presence? If so, does that link to something you're doing that sets it off? 
um, you know, it could be that that dog has, you know, a not a particularly great relationship with somebody in the household. So it's kind of conflict thing. And that could be another animal as well as a person. So it's a case of just sorting out any conflict as well. So there's like massive and massive and massive of things to look at. But one of the other big factors is boredom. Yes, so a yeah. lot of high drive, worky dogs that find themselves in pet situations are bored out of their brains, unfortunately. You know, they might get walk 20 minutes in the morning before the owner goes to work and then they're on their own all day and the owner comes down home and obviously wants to relax and, you know, enjoy their evening. And the dog's like, hang on a second, you know, I've done nothing all day. I haven't had enough exercise. My, I haven't had any mental stimulation. So they, what they do is they flip into this particular, you know, whatever they want to do repetitive um, motion they want to do as a as a boredom buster as a stress related boredom buster yeah yeah and it's actually I'm, I'm just thinking because when I started training buddy 15 years ago um, we went to, to a trainer who had been involved with training and working dogs all their working life and I said something about him being bored he meant they don't get bored dogs don't get bored and you're like oh okay i I would have thought they did. And then gradually, you know, maybe he was behind with his, um, you know, his, his own knowledge. But gradually that's become more acknowledged and, and, and you know, we, we're spreading that around to, to owners um, that, you know, yes, they do get bored and we do need to. It's not just that they'll be active when we're there and they have this off switch when we go away. You know, they do have little personalities and brains and ideas and they do need to, you know, have an outlet for that, don't they? Absolutely. You know, we've, I think sometimes we vastly underestimate the, the pet dog and, and their intelligence levels for yes. a start. And just like us, if they don't have that mental as well as that physical outlet, we know how stressful that is. If we're in a job that's really boring and under, under kind of doesn't push us, mm. it's actually quite stressful. Yes. You know, you get yeah. bored, but that boredom is quite, you know, quite upsetting. So, you know, what we can do is, is there's tons of stuff we can do. You know, one of the things that, that we suggest in the book is that you just start to up the dog's exercise, but don't just walk them and don't ball chuck because ball chucking actually could stimulate more adrenaline because fast exercise is, is a stimulation of adrenaline, whereas slow to moderate will kick in those nice endorphins that we need to be calm. Um, so what you can actually do is make it worse by fast exercise. But if you go out on a walk and take some treats with you and do some fine dits or or get the dogs to, I don't know, do a bit of parkour, as in you know climbing over logs and crawling under benches, do a bit of obedience training or trip training with them, make your walks really interactive, what happens then is the dog is already mentally worn out as well as physically from your walk and therefore they'll be more settled in the day if you have to work or you know you don't have time to to do more with them and there's loads of also really cheap easy things you can do at home I mean I quite often in the summer when it's too hot to walk my dog I'll get a big cardboard box I'll put loads of other boxes inside it with bits of food and toys and goodness the loads of things I call it a treasure box I stick it in the garden keep an eye on him and it'll take him an hour to work through it all and eat everything and pull all the paper out and by the end of it it's exhausted yeah it just costs pennies then you know even just getting your dog's kibble and throwing it in the garden for them to go find most half an hour to find your breakfast they've used scent which is really calming and, and very tiring yeah um 
they've had half an hour of wandering around the garden so they've been you know exercising um, and after that you might find they sleep so there's lots of, it doesn't have to be expensive things to do or time consuming things for you either it's about just finding ways to mentally stimulate them that is is easy for both of you and they really enjoy yeah Absolutely. And I think as well, you know, as humans, we, we sort of go, well, I would, I would just like my meals presented to me. I don't want to work for them. You know, I want to do as little work as possible. Thank you. I just want the food there. I want an easy life. I want to sit on the sofa. I want to chill. You know, I'll do some exercise because it apparently it keeps me healthy. But, you know, we want an easy life. Whereas the dog's mindset is not like that. And it really, the first time I realized that when, for example, if I'm out on a walk with, was with Buddy, and throwing the ball and I'd, I'd throw it too far or it would bounce awkwardly and it would disappear in long grass at the side of the field. And I'd be like, oh, no, the ball's lost now. And, and you know, that's an, an annoyance to me. Whereas to him, he's like, oh, wow, now I've got to search the ball out. This is great. And his tail's wagging. And it's like, oh, OK, you actually really, really enjoy you know, the harder the search, you enjoy this, don't you? And I think sometimes we miss that. You know, we, we misunderstand it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not saying, you know, some people will say never feed your dog out of a bowl. And for some dogs, that can be quite stressful if you don't give them a small meal in a bowl because they're used to that. Yeah. So I like, for example, with my dog, I often feed him his 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 dinner in his bowl. But then afterwards, I'll go, OK, but that takes seconds. So that's pretty boring. And if you were you know, out foraging and moving around, it would take you much longer. And also, you know, you've got nothing else to do now. So I'll grab an interactive feeding toy and put some of his meal in that and then he spend the next half an hour an hour you know with a chew or trying to get some food out of a toy and he loves it he absolutely loves it and yeah. by the end of it he just crashes out yes. so yeah there's lots of really easy things even if your dog is raw fed you know you can put little, little bits in 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 tiny bowls and put them all around the garden so they have to go find them mm-hmm. you know it, it doesn't take a lot of of energy from you or a lot of money even i often go to buy some you know cheap plastic picnic um bowls and they're great for hiding treats under you know playing the cup game is is a really good way of doing it so you know it, it you can do lots of fancy things like go you know find out what your dog really loves to do um job wise like you know does your husky want to go for a six mile run does your collie want to go and play uh, do agility or tribal i mean you can do these things but not everyone has that access to that but even jumping onto youtube and looking up you know some tricks to teach your dog at home you know anything to mentally stimulate them yeah um they'll, they'll love it absolutely love it yeah yeah and you'll find they'll just calm down generally yes yeah I, but i love that attitude you know you don't need to spend a fortune it's it's it, you know anybody can can pick up these ideas and do them and it will make your dog feel so much better even if you know they haven't got um canine compulsive disorder it's you know they like to you know have that interaction with you they like to do that 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 work have that job and also it you know it's good for you because i can remember the first few times you know when we when buddy was little and we were start looking on youtube and think oh and i saw about you know the alley-oop and and various things that you can which is just a target uh stick that sort of stands on a on a it wobbles doesn't it but it's it will stand on yeah so um that and you can teach your dog to go to it or run around it and come back to you and we that and that was like oh this is really fun and 
he he picked up from us. He'd he'd sort of see the alley he'd come out and he'd go, "Whoa, this is fun." Whereas sometimes the ordinary training lessons, he'd be a bit, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean the basic training, the the, the sort of obedience. Training oh yeah, yeah they could be so boring. Yes, and he'd be like, <laughs> "But then you think he's picking this up from me." <laughs> uh-huh. so, so then I have yeah. to be careful and treat all training as, "Ooh, isn't this the best thing you know in the world?" But you, there's so much you can do, and he just loved it. And he was, and even now. When he can't do much, when the alley comes out, his tail starts wagging because he knows he's going to get, you know, extra attention and, and very focused attention and treats and it's all going to be nice and positive and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and fun. And that's, that's what they want. It's, it's, it's not, you don't have to spend hundreds of pounds. It's not, you know, you don't have to go to a club. You don't have to. It's just... No. And what you can do is if your dog has a compulsive disorder is you can channel it into doing something else. So if you know there's a particular time of day when it starts or, um, you know, you can see the symptoms of it or it's a it's a sunny day and you need to lock them out of a particular room, you know, you can divert them on to doing something else that just occupies their brain, just helps them get through that stressful period. So there's, you know, there's so much you can do to help them. But that doesn't mean it will necessarily make make it disappear completely you'd still have to put other training into place but it can be a real start you know for some dogs who maybe just have a mild or just starting to get into maybe a compulsive um, sequence you know if they if they you can just notice the signs of your dog starting to kind of develop it um, adding these things in and changing their environment and everything is just um, possibly a way of stopping it developing more but it doesn't mean if your dog isn't already kind of very ingrained in that that kind of uh, behavior that you can't help them i've helped you know many dogs who've had quite bad you know um shadow chasing or whatever it is they do and we've been able to get them out of it and help them calmer it doesn't mean they can't reoffend, as it were if we yeah, don't keep yeah. these things up but because they may always have a tendency to go to that kind of thing and also it depends whether it is if we try absolutely everything and all the stuff that we list in the book and your dog still is doing this then we can probably pretty much say it is proper you know a proper imbalance in the brain but there is so little information out there yet so little research we don't absolutely know why it happens yeah. Um, but we you know if we link it to humans and there is some studies for, for example, look, quite a lot of studies been done on um, bull terriers and also on Dobermans. Mm. Um, and they have found particular areas of the brain that have had anomalies in them. And they do sometimes mirror uh, the brain patterns of humans as well with the same condition. So, you know, th- th- I'm not saying that there isn't true compulsive disorders in dogs in there but we know little about it but the, what we suggest in the book basically is that you try all these things to see if it excludes it if it stops it and if it doesn't then we know and of course there are some drugs that your vet could prescribe but they always say um even with those that you still need to look at a behavior program to help just giving them the drug isn't going to sort the issue completely so you know we basically again in the book we've just put everything in that we 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 know about and it it is as exhaustive as we can we can get it um and we just will just help people go through the stages really i mean there's a lot in there obviously about tennington touch because i'm a t-touch practitioner um but we've put all the other alternatives in as well you know looking at um, batch flower remedies can be quite helpful as part of your behavior uh, program training you know lots of different things so 
it, it's a, hopefully it's a one-stop shop, you know, to, to kind of getting all the information you need to help your dog. Yeah, yeah. It is a very, very practical book. As with all those, the help books, there's, there's real practical advice that you can put into practice that you can, you can look through. There's lots of lists sort of, you know, what do you need to reserve to take information to the vet? And, that, you know, if you think your dog's got um, canine compulsive disorder... Um, you know, this book really will help you. Because I imagine it's quite a bewildering thing when you see how upset your dog is becoming and, and, and doing themselves damage, as you say, some, in some cases. Yeah. You know, that must be quite bewildering to cope with. Well, absolutely. I mean, dogs have had tails amputated. You know, it's, it's just awful for everyone concerned really and you know some people because there's a whole massive list of the behaviors that it can manifest itself into some people don't even realize this is what it is they just sort of think it's a it's a habit they've got into so you know everyone sort of thinks about the shadow chasing or the tail chasing but you know as i was saying on the there's a massive list of in the book about all the ones that is kind of you know, in this category. So I, I've had people contact me, saying, contact me and saying, oh, I didn't actually know my dog had canine compulsive disorder, but now I know mm. and I know what to do about it. So, you know, that's just fantastic that people are finding it a really practical, easy guide to follow, as you say. Yeah, yeah. And just so much, you know, so much help to help you recognise it, get the information you need to go and see a health professional. Um, and then, as you said, it, it's kind of, it seems to me the message is, you know, they, they may always be a recovering CCD uh, sufferer, you know, in the way that you'd yeah. be a recovering alcoholic kind of thing. But mm. the help is there, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it's about just de-stressing everything but also just look in the environment there's so many easy things you can do to change your home if the problem happens in the home there's easy tools to use on walks if it's the problem on a walk you know it, it kind of just gives you all those lists of things to do and how to introduce them in a safe way and a and in a sympathetic way for your dog as well yeah you know, simple things like, you know, if there's a reflection of, of light on the floor because you've got foliage outside your window, we'll cut the foliage back. You know, people often, because they're so inside the problem, they don't see outside the box. Yes, yeah. So it's just simple things that they can do to maybe stop the shadows coming in or, you know, also getting people to understand that if your dog is digging at the floor, it may not be that it's a problem with a dog it might be a sound or something under the floorboards uh -huh. you know we've we've known dogs that have been upset because the fridge is making a noise and you put the fridge on blocks and it's fine you know and we have to remember that dogs hearing range is far more than ours so therefore they can hear things that we can't well i've known dogs to get upset because the heating comes on at six o'clock in the morning and it makes a clicking sound uh -huh. You know, so you kind of have to you have to turn detective and really look at everything. And just because you can't hear it or see it doesn't mean it's not there. You know, sometimes you do have to rip your floorboards up and see if you've got rats in <laughs> your floor or something like that. You know, because it could well be that there is a, a problem that your dog is telling you it's there, but you d you're not picking up on it. So, yeah, look at the environment is really important as well. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, I mean, help from you know, a professional outside of the situation can be invaluable because, you know, when you, when you have a problem with your dog and, and, or your dog has a problem and you're, you know, suffering the stress from it as well, 
you just get so wrapped up and so set in one thing and, and so stressed mm-hmm. that it can yeah. be just invaluable for somebody to come in and look at it calmly and go, do you know what? I think it's this and just try other yeah. things. And it has to be the right person. You have to do your research, get someone who's qualified, get someone who's familiar with that with that particular issue. I saw a study recently of, of where people, where pet owners get their information on behavioural issues. And I could not believe the amount of people who just say they go onto the Internet. You know, in these days with the, the, the uh, you know, the Facebook warriors, you yeah, know, out there, yeah. you put a question out on these old dog things and people haven't asked any history of the dog. They oh. give all this advice out and some of it is downright dangerous, you know. Yeah. You know, you, you, you can't, and I always are on there going, you can't get an answer unless someone sits down with you, a qualified person sits down with you for at least an hour and gets all the relevant history. Uh, and only then, and only then, and after a vet check as well, can we even start to think about what we should do with your dog, you know, to help change that problem. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's, you know, Facebook and the internet yes. is a wonderful thing, but it can also be a very dangerous thing sometimes as well. So make sure you get the proper help. Yeah. And again, in the book, you know, at the back, we've listed loads of resources about where you can find that help uh, and the best people to go to to help you out. But with this condition, I would definitely say the first thing you need to do is get to your vets and just make sure there's a thorough vet check and there isn't anything going on health wise. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's as I say, it is a it's a brilliant book. I thoroughly enjoyed reading it, and and some of the information we haven't had time to sort of go over this, but the the some of the possible causes, as you say, like the research into the the brain side of it and the genetic side of it, it that's really really interesting, mm. and and has implications for 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 example, you know, if you are going to get a dog, particularly if you're getting a, a puppy, the questions to ask that has implications. Um, yes. So it's well worth looking at, you know, to be aware of these things. Um, so you ask the right questions. And, and it's for the yeah. health of the dogs long term, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, in the book, there's a list of uh, particular behaviours where certain breeds are more prone to them. Yes. And there does seem to be a bit of a kind of a genetic link as in if the parents or grandparents have had this then more likely the puppies will then go on to develop it so yeah you do need to ask the right questions but there are particular breeds like I said that are much more prone to certain ones so you know you have to do as always when you're getting a dog get the research you know research out the breed not only if it's temperament and its lifespan and all of that but also all those health implications as well yeah definitely one thing occurred to me do you think it's the 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 type of job the dog has been bred for or do you think it's the strength of work drive in that dog that sometimes might you know tip over into into a compulsive problem i think it could be either Mm. to be honest yeah um you know because sometimes with the with the uh, psychomotor seizures it can be a particular action the dog performs mm. um, but also there's definitely a link we've uh, in some of the research that says you know it can be linked to an area of the brain that deals with with the remembering it and a particular repetitive behavior so of course if you've got a dog that is bred for a particular um, a job that can then come out so going back to things like collies chasing light and 
and um and and behaviors like that so you know it's complex and we don't understand it to be honest I, we don't understand it in people so no. how can we understand it in dogs when there's even been even less research the research is coming um but again you know it's it's slow so there are papers out there and i do list all the papers that i read uh, while i was researching the book in the back of the in the back of the resource section um but it's complex and i you know all I know is that we can help. We don't necessarily always know where it comes from. Mm, mm. Well, I've just, I've just heard a big yawn from your dog. So, <laughs> <I think laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like get off the phone, mum. Yes. If you've said enough now, come on, let's do something. <laughs> okay, um, that's great. But I mean, the the, the take home message is that definitely there's hope and there's help. So find it. You know, don't suffer in definitely. silence. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, these poor dogs and poor owners, you know, it's just devastating for everybody. But, you know, uh, uh, there is lots of things that we can do. Tony always makes everything so clear and in such a calm way that I feel calm and capable too. To find the help that Tony was talking about, you can visit her website, tonyshelbourne.co.uk, which we have a link to on the Dogcast Radio site and which offers a veritable canine cornucopia. Of resources. Dogs have fewer taste buds than humans, but many more scent detectors, so what their food smells like is more important than the taste. In our previous episode, I had to break the news that my lovely buddy had passed away. But he may be gone, but he is not forgotten, and today I'd like to share with you the last holiday he went on. Sadly, it was not with me, but I can't be too downcast about it, because it was a fantastic experience for him, even though it came about through sad circumstances. In the past, for all of Buddy's life, my mum has always moved into our house and been our pet sitter. I recommend her, her rates are very low, and our animals love her, but I have to warn you, she's very picky over her customers, she won't travel far, and if you do bring her into your life, she will start telling you how to live it. That's my experience anyway, but I digress. So Mom was always my go-to dog sitter, and thus, when we booked a Disneyland Paris holiday for my birthday this year, I booked her as my pet care. This was all in 2017, but then everything was thrown into disarray when my stepfather was diagnosed with a serious illness early this year. One of the only certainties that remained at that point was that Mom would not be available for duty one way or another. With a heavy heart, I looked into alternatives. As I've been working with Anne Kessel of Barking Mad Dog Holidays for some time, she was naturally my first phone call. I've seen for myself how well their system works and how happy the dogs are to meet their hosts. But even so, I dialed with trepidation and a fast-beating heart. To be honest, I doubted she would be able to help. At that point, Buddy was fifteen and a quarter, deaf, developing a laryngeal disease that I can never remember the name of, which made him cough, had arthritis and a vile degenerative spine condition which ultimately took him from us. Don't be misled by all that, though. He was old but happy. He potted about the house and garden, had plenty of company, daily medication supported him, and his cloudy eyes still twinkled while his tail still wagged. One of the biggest potential issues for anyone taking him into their home was that very occasionally he was incontinent. I feel disloyal mentioning that, but it's part of the story and it can be part of life with an older dog. In his heyday, Buddy would never have soiled himself, and if he had, it would have distressed him. 
If his tennis ball rolled too near Pooh on a walk, he would stop and stare at me in disgust, as if to say, "You get it. I'm not going near that." So I feel the need to make it clear that it was the vile degenerative spine disease that stopped the correct messages traveling from rear end to brain, which led to this issue. But in a weird way, that block was a blessing at those times, as he seemed completely unaware when he had soiled himself. We live in a bungalow, so Buddy was able to sleep in our bedroom without having to climb stairs, and thus the list of requests and conditions grew as I talked to and cried to Anne about my predicament. To my huge surprise and relief, she immediately knew who she would ask to have Buddy as a house guest—a lovely couple, Andy and Sue, whose own black Labrador was fourteen, and they and their house ticked all the necessary boxes. Everything was set, and the big day arrived. Nervously. And tearfully, and I don't mean nice, pretty, sniffy tears. I mean ugly, gulping, raw, sobbing. I cuddled Buddy and waved him off. Needless to say, he got into Anne's car happily, gazing around him curiously and clearly not phased at all. Very quickly, I had a photo of him arriving at his holiday home, exploring and meeting his new friend, a beautiful older gentleman of a Labrador called Jasper. There followed photos of Buddy relaxing on his bed with his wubber. He'd taken his belongings with him to help him feel at home. And then the same night, there were photos of him on Jasper's bed—a huge memory foam one, which Jasper was happy to share. In the evening, Anne messaged to say that Sue was delighted with Buddy, who had nudged her at the allotted time to make sure she knew it was dinner time and he needed some food. Oh yes, his appetite was good too. And if Buddy felt at home enough to nudge Sue, I knew he was all right. And Anne had found him the perfect hosts. During the next few days, I received reassuring photos of Buddy relaxing in the house, pottering around the garden with Jasper, even strolling in the snow at one point, and generally having a great time. The two old boys even played gently together. Although Buddy had Jenny's puppy Mischief for company at home. With him being older and slower, and her being young and energetic, it was for much of the time as if they existed in different dimensions. And I think Buddy very much welcomed the camaraderie of another senior dog. He certainly came back in tip-top condition, livelier than he had been. His coat shiny, his tail wagging, and his grin in place. Of course, since his death, I've looked back and wished I hadn't spent those ten days away from him. But. From Buddy's point of view, he had a great time. Made three new friends, two human, one canine. Rode in a different car. Had lots of novel scents to sniff, a new garden to explore, and overall, I'm sure it was an enriching experience for him. I'm so glad he spent the time being cherished in a home environment. And I guess, as an experienced dog, there weren't many new experiences in his latter years. But that little solitary sojourn was definitely one. And a good one. So, thank you, Anne, Andy, Sue, and Barking Mad, for looking after Buddy so well. That's all we have time for. So until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio. Available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T-Radio.com. Like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype 
with the ident dog cast radio. That's all one word, dog cast radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What do you get if you cross a baguette and a dog? A purebred puppy.